Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Do me a favor, subscribe to the John Com Report. Wherever you get your podcast, you're watching on YouTube, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. You can find us there as part of Empire Media, that's A-M-P-I-R-E. Always much appreciated when you tune in, especially in seasons like this, in a losing streak like this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I feel your pain. Don't forget, you can also read my work on ESPN.com. In fact, I have a story up now about the commander's trade deadline options, focusing on, of course, Montez Sweat and Chase Young. Why would they break up that duo? Also, and what it kind of looks like, why each player, where, where the demand might be, um, why there may, why the value might be depressed a little bit. And again, when you talk about value, well, I'll get to that in a minute. Um, but that story is up on ESPN.com. Also mentioned Jacoby Brissett. I'll get to him in a minute as well. Don't forget one little programming note. I will be doing the live stream show at 7.30 Eastern time on Tuesday night. I'll be doing it flying solo there, folks. It'll be just me and you because Bram Weinstein is ditching us to hand out candy with his kids and then go collect candy. I don't know, you know, I don't know why he'd want to do that. I mean, wouldn't you rather sit there and bemoan another loss or would you rather go have fun with your kids? Well, I think he's making the right choice anyways, but I'll be there for you because my kids are grown and out of the house. So let's talk another therapy Tuesday and we'll go from there. Bring your frustration, your anger, whatever it is, but also wrap up the trade deadline. So you can get, you know, instead of me putting on some sort of a bonus pod, I'll be doing this live so I can answer your questions or talk to you about the trade deadline, what moves Washington made or didn't make, and what does it mean for the future? So stay tuned for that. Um, And I'm going to get to the Sam, I'm going to get to a Sam Howell breakdown in a few minutes, but I did want in, and the kid played really well. So I want to go over that game and like, what was the difference this time? Why, why did they, you know, what, what, where was he good? Right. And why was the protection better? But I do want to start with the trade deadline talk because that's obviously very important and it's very timely. By the time some of you listen to this, it may be already passed. So you may want to just flip ahead to the to the film breakdown. But there is some stuff in here that you know I think will still be relevant. But again, you know, it could this is listen, Washington, as I talk, is probably at their facility gathering more information and then going over it and you know, meeting as a group, deciding what's what's real, what's not real, what's a possible offer, what's a real offer, et cetera. And then you know, you gather all the information. This is what the this is how Josh Harris operates his other organizations. Gather the information, present him the information, then make a decision. That's how it works. And that's what they'll will that's what they'll do. So this will really be Harris's first, I guess, kind of big decision as an owner because everything else has been off the field or the stadium or whatever. This is the first big decision that impacts football in terms of how how they are going to handle things, et cetera. And, you know, um, I think in my numerous conversations here, I think this group does understand, and I say this group, this the people in charge do understand that, you know, while some of you might look at it and say, well, they have to win now, why would they trade? I think they also know that what Harris wants them to do is make good decisions for the organization. So if you don't, if you if you have an offer for Montez Sweat that's a really good offer and you turn it down because you feel like you need to win this year, and Harris finds out, well, why didn't you take that offer? Because well, I want to, you know, 
he, he might say, that's the offer we should have taken. Well, that's not a good football decision. So you're going to be gone. So you have to make a good decision. And if you make, let's say, let's say they trade Montez Sweat and they get a certain pick that's maybe a second round pick. And then they go out and they keep winning. Well, then not only did you make a good football decision, but you kept win- that you, but you nicely kept winning. You started to win. So that looks even better in the eyes of a guy like Josh Harris. So keep that in mind. Like, yes, Rivera, Ron Rivera and this staff have to win now, but he also has to make, he's in charge of this operation. He's got to, he has to make good football decisions and what's best for the organization. And if you're not, and if the owner doesn't think you're doing that, then he's going to get rid of you regardless if you, what whatever happens. And so keep that in mind. Now, as far as value goes, under please understand it's not always about like, well, this player is better than that player was. This guy's better than Bradley Chubb was a couple of years ago, and Miami got him for you know first and whatever. Different situations. There are more guys on the market this right now, or potential guys on the market than there were when Miami acquired Chubb. Also, Chubb had been negotiating with them, and it's about I think it was like a day or two after the deal was announced, he signed an extension with the Dolphins. That doesn't happen overnight. When you sign extensions, it's something you've been working on for a little bit. And so that also helped Miami for it also helped Denver get more from Miami because he was signed. If you're just getting a half year rental, the value is going to be lower. If there are concerns about your durability, as I think there are with Young, value is going to be lower. If there are other guys in the market that other teams could go pursue, then the value is going to be a little bit lower. So it's not, it's not just about, well, is this how great is this player? Contract plays a lot into it. And if you don't, again, if it's a half year rental, it changes the value of, of, a, of a trade. Now let's look at, let's first look at um, Montez Sweat because, you know, of the two of, listen, the, 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 the main guys are Montez Sweat and Chase Young. And yes, teams have talked about other players, but other players aren't available. So these are the two guys that are really the number one targets for most teams. So Atlanta clearly is a team that has a lot of interest in Montez Sweat. Kyle Smith, director of college scouting, or was the director of college scouting when Washington drafted Smith, excuse me, boy, am I messing up. When Washington drafted Montez Sweat in 2019 with the 26th pick. So he's now in Atlanta. He's the assistant general manager. That kind of, that kind of matters. Um, and here's a couple other things to keep in mind. Atlanta is home for Montez Sweat. Montez Sweat went through some a very, just a couple of personal tragedies a couple of years ago. His mother died, brother was killed. I think if you're going to leave Washington, you want to go somewhere where you have family, and he has family in the Atlanta area. So I think, I think that would be something that would be welcomed by him to go there. Now that's important because of the extension. So Washington does have an offer of a third round pick for Montez Sweat. Now, two things on that. One, when you talk to one side, they say, well, they don't know if it's a firm, how firm that offer is. In other words, is a, here's the, here's a trade. Boom. We will give you a third and a conditional or a conditional third for Montez Sweat. Boom. Or is it a, what if we offered you this? And, you know, but another side says, no, this is what the offer is. So is that Atlanta who was offered that? Well, I'll just say this again. I just told you he's from there and that's a place where he would want to be. So that would be natural to assume that he would want to get an extension from there. If he moves there, not going to give anybody a hometown discount, but if you're, if you're from that area, you want to be there, the team trades for you. They clearly like you, then they're going to try and make something work with you as well. So 
even if it doesn't, an extension isn't reached right away, there is motivation on both sides to get something done because this side wants them, this side wants to be there. A lot easier to get it done that way. If he gets traded somewhere else, are you going to get that conditional? Maybe, but then you still have, but there's less chance. There might be less chance of him resigning there. So perhaps the best place might be Atlanta for him. Um, I think I told you too. I don't know if I told you this. I, I don't remember. I, my brain's fried, but Atlanta did a deal a couple of years ago with Jackson or last year with Jacksonville, or it was a year or two ago for Calvin Ridley. And it was a fifth round pick um, plus a conditional fourth that turned into a second round pick if um, the Jaguars extended them. So there's precedent for that. And, you know, Falcons need some D-line help. Other teams do too. San Francisco needs D-line help. They or they would like to get someone else opposite Nick Bosa. And, you know, um, would he make sense there? Yeah, I don't know that I don't know that the Niners would go as high as what I think the Falcons will do. So that's something to consider too. Also, again, I think I told you, you know, some for some teams we'll wait to see what happens with Carolina um pass rusher Brian Burns. What happens with him? Who get you know, because that's I was, I've been told by some people that once he goes, the market could start to fall into place. Now, I don't know if everybody feels like he's the key guy there, but some people do. And that's based on their conversations with other teams. So that that's something to watch too. Like what happens when he goes, does the, do the dominoes fall? And, you know, so it might, you know, so if nothing happens, if you see Brian Birds get traded a 10 or trade a 10, then pay attention for the next hour because something could happen then. Is it a guarantee that both Sweat and Young get traded? Hell no. It's not even a guarantee that one of them gets traded because you keep in mind, man, all offseason it was what I'd hear, what I was told. They wanted to extend Montez Sweat and Cam Curl. Those were the two names that you always heard when it came to extension talks. Now, suddenly Montez Sweat is on the trade market along with Chase Young. <clears throat> How did we get there? Well, I don't know exactly because you know, what I just said. And I don't think they necessarily want to trade him. I think if they could keep him, they would. I think the hard part is that they know that, you know, even though they have nine, approximately 90 million on the cap next year, that you still, do you, how much do you want to invest at one position? And what would the analytics say about that? Because this is, Harris is not going to make every decision based on analytics, but they're a heavy, they use it heavily. So, Analytics aren't going to say to spend invest all that there. However, you can do that because of Sam Howell's contract. And if you think Howell is the guy, well, that gives you more flexibility to do it. And in, in a couple of years, you're going to probably either have to redo John Allen's contract or you're going to have to, you may have to part ways with him. At which point, that's probably when the bigger money would kick in for Sweat and or Young. So if you really wanted to, you could keep them both. Because again, all offseason it was extend Montez Sweat. And if Chase Young plays well, then we'll reward him. And, you know, so you could, you know, if that was on the radar, then you could still do it if you wanted to. So again, that's, that's why it's not a guarantee he gets traded, but it's certainly, there's been a lot of smoke around. It's, it's more than just smoke folks. So there's been a lot of talk around this. So I think that's why, you know, the, the gut feel is that it probably would happen. And it depends on what time you talk to somebody about with their level of skepticism about whether or not it will. You know, I still would be a little bit surprised if something doesn't happen. Not, I would, I would be a little bit surprised. Nothing shocks me in this league anymore. And I do know, like I said, that I think they would welcome him back, and I think those guys would be okay coming back. And um, so it's not a guarantee, but I think it is something that you kind of look at all situations. What makes the most sense for this franchise? 
As far as Chase Young goes, um, I think that's going to be interesting. I think Chicago, you know, would, would that be a team that would be interesting? They're, they're, that's been rumored. I've seen both things both ways, heard things both ways with them. And But I think the key for, for Young would be durability. Do teams feel he can last 17 games coming off that knee injury? Um, and I know the knee injury is almost two years ago now, but he hasn't played a full 17 games since that. And so what is, what's he going to look like in December, et cetera, late in the year when you're going to really need that push from him? Is he going to be, is he going to be there or not? I mean, he's, he's shown no reason to think he wouldn't be. He's looked pretty good. You know, I mean, Chase Young looks pretty good. So, you know, that, that's something that another team is going to have to consider. And, but I also, I don't, if you're Washington, Young was a four, was the number two pick in the draft. This is the first pick of the Ron Rivera regime. regime. They did not pick up the fifth-year option, and that was because of what I just told you about other teams, the durability with the knee. They wanted to make sure. That's why it wasn't, that's why they didn't pick it up. Used to be those options were guaranteed pickups just about because the money wasn't guaranteed. Now the money's guaranteed. That changes how teams approach it. So the, the in the past, it was guaranteed for injury only. Now it's just guaranteed. So if you're not sure, you don't want to take a risk on a guy that once that's in there and like if something happens, then you're you're on the hook for almost 18 million. And so that that's why they didn't do it. But the production has been there. I mean, he's doing what they want him to do. Is he a perfect player? No, but he's a very good pass rusher. And, you know, you'd like to see finish a little bit more often. He's got five sacks. Um You'd like to see that big, big year from Chase Young, but he is having a productive year. And he's in terms of pass rush win rate, if you're into that kind of thing, he's by far their best um, on the team with that. I think it's around 26% pass rush win rate, which is like fifth or sixth best in the league among defensive linemen. And then nobody else on that line is, is in the top. I think 55 of among defensive linemen. So that's that's where he's been. But again, you want more than five sacks and you'd like to see a couple game-changing plays if you want to get that big money. But the option too with him is you could always tag him and then trade him in the offseason if you really wanted to trade him. So we'll see what happens there. But I don't I I I would say if you're Washington, because he was your first pick, because he was a former number two pick, because you passed on quarterbacks like Tua Tagovailoa and 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 Herb Justin Herbert, that you're going to want to make it work with him if he's showing you what you drafted him to do. And so I could see that's why I could see if you had to if you're putting money on it, it'd be Montez Sweat and then then Chase Young and then Jacoby Brissett is the other one that teams have called upon because of the position he plays. But I'd be I'd be really surprised if he went anywhere. I don't think for a couple of reasons. One, I don't think you're going to get the value. I don't think you're going to get the pick that would make it make sense. And, you know, um, I don't think, uh, first of all, like they, sorry about that. They want to, they want to um, do all they can to help Sam Howell. One of the ways they help Sam Howell is by having Jacoby Brissett in the meeting rooms on the sidelines with him. You don't just bring a guy off the street in November and think that he can somehow now start mentoring Sam Howell during the season. It doesn't work like that. That stuff is built in the off season. That stuff is built throughout training camp. That stuff is built in meeting rooms throughout the season. Uh, so unless you get a really good, really good pick, which I don't think you would, then you, then he's not going to go anywhere. And plus they're three and five. And despite what you might think, they think, that listen, you look at Minnesota, that's a team ahead of them in the playoff race. They just lost their quarterback. So they're not out of it. So if they're that's why it's not going to be a fire sale. And but it's also why they would want to keep Brissett because let's say 
What if they win the next two games? They're five and five, but Sam Howell gets hurt. Well, now you got a guy that can go in and play for you and 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 still help you win some games and be competitive. So, and I know you want more than competitive. Don't you know save your save your anger on that one. But I know you want to win. And so so do they. But that's why they would keep percent. There's not you're not it doesn't make sense to give them up for like a low round pick for what? What do you what is what are you going to get out of that? That you, you know, his value is far greater to them helping Howell than it is to going somewhere for a low round pick. Anyway, that's a trade deadline update. Again, 4 p.m. Tuesday. That's the time. I wouldn't be surprised if something happens in the morning, one way or another, if they decide. But I don't think you're going to decide, hey, this guy's not going anywhere unless it's like Atlanta's not going to go up in their offer and you just decide, well, this is where he wants to go. So if he's if that's not going to work there, we're just going to keep him. That that could be what they think. Um, and I don't know with Chase Young, like I, I I know teams are interested. I know they're interested. However, I don't know to what level and I don't know what they're willing to give up. And I don't think that, again, if you're Washington, you're not going to give them up for a third. That would just, to me, that would be foolish. Um, I'd rather I'd rather tag him in the offseason. If you wanted to trade him, then fine. If not, you keep him because he is being productive. Anyway, let's move to the on the field. Let's talk about Sam Howell because that's also, listen, the rest of the season is about Sam Howell. Still in the playoff race. You know, there you go. I know P word. It's not, you know, whatever you know, three and five, there's a long way left. So in other words, you can't just focus on him right now because there's still games to be played that could be, you know, could matter. Maybe, maybe not, you know, whatever, but Sam Howell does matter. And we know that because one of the things they have to come out of the season, knowing, do you have your quarterback or not? Do have you found your guy? I don't care who's coaching the team next year. You need to have that question answered. And so I think Sam Howell, they played a really good game against the Eagles on Sunday. Two really good games against the best team in the NFC. And it was not a fluke. I mean, the kid played really well. He threw the ball well. Threw for 397, 397 yards and four touchdowns. I'm going to get into a few things that I really liked about what he showed. And then also, why, you know, a few other things. Like, first of all, let's start with the game plan. That was, Eric Bieniemy was criticized for what happened in New York. He deserves, I mean, listen, the game plan was really good because they things worked. He threw for 397. It could have easily been 450. So it's not like, I mean, the game plan worked. And, and I know, again, heavy, 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 heavy pass. I know that. Like to see more runs too, but they moved the ball and they scored, they scored 31. I know there was one, one touchdown late, still made it a one-score game. So it wasn't like it was completely out of it. If you can't recover the onside kick, you're there. So it wasn't complete, you know, just mop up do or garbage points because it cut it to a one score game. So Howell had a really nice, did a really nice job. And even without that, you're still talking 350 some yards or whatever it was, 330 yards. I, I don't remember how long that last drive was. Point is he had a good game offense, moved the ball. And so the game plan was good. A lot of heavy motion use. And this is what I like. This is one of the things I talked about in the keys and, and prediction stuff on Friday or Saturday, whatever day it was. Um, just the use of motion against that Eagles defense because it really, really works. And th they ran motion, I think it was as much as they have all year. They threw out of the motion as much as they have all year by a decent amount. It was 32 times, uh, according to um, ESPN Stats and Info. And they had, <clears throat> and part of that is because they really wanted to test, they motioned to stack, they motioned a bunch, and they really wanted to test the Eagles communication in the secondary because it worked the first time and there were mess up mess ups the first time there were mess ups this time too that 
Sometimes they're taken advantage of and sometimes they weren't. But they really, but I like that they tested that again and they kept going to it because it kept working. And I think the other reason for it, um, actually, you know, there was, again, I'll give an example, third and six motion late in the game, Jahan Dotson motions to a bunch. Um, and as you image, Jahan or Diami Brown motions to the bunch, but Jahan then runs off that. There was a little bit of a confusion you could see in the secondary about who's it was with Darius Slay, like who's got, supposed to go where, and his eyes kind of get off Jahan, cuts the inside, third and six, plus nine on the catch, first down. But that was the effect of the of the motioning to the bunch, and there are multiple examples of that. So let's get to um, the protection too, because the protection was really good all game. And Howell was sacked one time, but it wasn't just the few sacks. There were, there were times he helped himself, but the protection was good. Now the Eagles – do not do a, a, they do not blitz much. That's not their style. They don't run a lot of stunts. They do run some, but it wasn't a ton. It's not like what the Giants were. So from one week to the next, it's not like they got things figured out. They faced a defense that was just very different. And they're going to face defenses that are very different down the road. San Francisco does a lot of stunting, a lot of different things. You know, Dallas will do different things. But against the Eagles, I felt like. Some of the the insertions they had, Tyler Larson at center, Chris Paul at left guard for C.D. Charles, who's injured, Nick Gates, who was benched at center. I think those changes certainly made it, certainly helped. I think especially Tyler Larson at center. I think that made a big difference because Nick Gates was, the problem. the hard part for him is he wasn't stout enough. And for whatever reason, it just, it wasn't there for him with that. But Tyler Larson does a good job with them. And you saw that time and again in this game. Now, I think I wonder about like the power of like Paul and Larson and the, the, the Eagles have a strong front. So I think it was a good matchup for them to win. The Eagles are not the most disciplined pass rushers, leaves open gaps all the time. And they did a good job creating that for, for Sam Howell. And, and he took advantage of that, but I felt like the protection was really good. And you saw it again, time and again, and there were some times that were there were some times that Chris Paul had some problems um, on the deep miss to, to to Pringle. Chris Paul just gets beat to the inside and he gives up the pressure. If he handles that better, that's a that's a possible touchdown. Points left on the field. So that was that was you know one of the things um, that that did not help. But I think overall Chris Paul did a nice job, and I think Tyler Larson did a good job. Calling the protections, that was a big deal too, because that was an that was a fail in New York. And Sam Howell had to help out with a little bit of that, with that a little bit more in the second half of that game. So I think that's where Larson also helped. But he's a stout player. Now we'll see what happens when they, you know, you go against a different team every week, obviously, but a different style too. And when, you know, if you get uh, some quicker guys, well, how does that make a difference? If you want to get these guys out in space, does that make a difference? There was one screen the other day where it was to Brian Robinson and they didn't score on this drive, but it was, it was a play where like, honest to God, that screen, if there's a little bit, I don't want to say awareness. Cause that's, I don't know. It's, there was a screen where basically three guys are running downfield with them. There's, or, so he had the blockers on front. There's one guy to beat, but there are guys coming from the backside that these guys didn't see. And so is that their fault? I don't know. I didn't play that position. So I don't know, you know, what could they have just, if you turn, look back, you get them. If you do, you probably got a touchdown, but they didn't. And I don't know that they're supposed to. So, um, you know, they, you always want to look for work, but there was, and there was no one out there, but Hey, it was just a, a missed opportunity. Um, but I think those guys did a good job in space and I'm not even blaming them for that play. Cause I just, I don't, 
you know, that's something we'll get to later another time. But anyway, I just felt like they did a good job and they formed a good pocket for how all game. Yes. There were a couple whiffs. Um, there are a couple misses or miss blocks or missed, you know, whatever that happens because that's a pretty good defensive front overall, a very good job with that pocket. And then I think that Howell really helped himself. And, you know, I think the game plan helps that too. Right. Um, there were times where, let's see, you know, you have on the first touchdown, for example, um, it was a three-step plant and throw, 2.58 seconds. You're getting rid of the ball at that in that rhythm. It's just it just helps everything work better. That's what he did. Um, another good decision. He's under pressure. Looks there was a play where you John John Bates comes off the line, look to the right, he's not there. Boom, right back to the left. Where you got McLaurin turning inside, plus nine plus nine yard gain, gets it off in 2.0 seconds. 2.0 seconds. And had he not done that in that fast a time, he would have been sacked. So that some of that is they, they had a this happened in the first game too. He was much quicker through his progressions in these against the Eagles. And some of that's the style of the zone coverage they play. I think it creates some gaps that they just receivers know the receivers know where they need to sit. And that therefore Howell knows when he turns where they're going to be. And that makes a big difference. And so again, in that place, why you can get the ball, but that's how you help yourself. So the protection was good. He helped himself as well. Um, again, there were a couple of times there was misstunts by Paul. Um, but one time there was a, there was one where, because again, Howell gets rid of the ball fast, 2.0 seconds. It's a 14 yard gain to Jahan Dotson. And, you know, he, I think he may have even been his second option, but that's what happens when you feel that rhythm. And when you know where guys are going to be, then you can offset some of what might happen with the line. That's where quarterbacking can help a line sometimes look like look better. And that's what they're supposed to do. And sometimes that line was helping get was giving him more time to make some throws down the field. That's what you want to see as well. So just a much better balance with that for the first time in a while, really, all season, maybe. I mean, it was one sack. And the one sack, like there's there's not much Wiley got beat. All right. You know, um, but there was nowhere for Howell to really go with the ball. It was a pretty quick pressure. And nobody, when you watch the play, it was that fourth down play late in the game after the Dotson catch, not a catch, New York, whatever. After that play, then that's what happened. But, you know, by and large, they did a good job with it. I also liked how Howell kept his eyes down the field. And that's something I know that, like, that's something they've talked about internally as a, as a, as an improvement or something that, that he was really good at the other day. And you could see it like he was stepping up in the pocket. That was another good sign. Like, and sometimes like you're stepping up into really good gaps, but, and sometimes you're like some of those times you're stepping up. It's, it's obvious times where you have to throw the ball. Not every time though. And he was stepping up. He'd hit his plan step, get move, move up in the pocket. They created that pocket, that lane for him. And he was able to find guys because of it. But it was just a good. He, he was he was good in the pocket the other day, and that was good for them to see. Um, there was one time where there was one where um, steps up to the right. I think it was like I want to say he was in the pocket. They had good protection. It started with that, so probably about it was. I have it. Two point nine seconds. He steps up in the pocket, and then at then he's stepping up to his right. And I have I put a picture up of this, but you see Brian Robinson the flap. Steps up, keeps his eyes up. Now, a couple of weeks ago, maybe he tries to run that one because he maybe he can split there. I don't know that he could have. 
But there are other times where he's tried that. This time he keeps his eyes up. And because of that, he sees Robinson in the flat, who turns it into an 11-yard gain. That's a good thing, right? That was a really good plan. That's one of the other things I liked with the game plan was how they there were always – he always had the check down option. He used it very well. Didn't use it all the time. Listen, the one thing that – I go back to the John Beck days. If you remember that John Beck game in 2011 against the Niners where after the game after he was sacked 10 times, all he did was check it down against the Niners. He, you know, this Johnny check down. And that's not what Sam Howell has become. He's still looking to make the right play. In this case, that was the right play. It was a good pocket. You still, you know, but there was a there was a little bit of pressure. He held the ball for a little bit because the pro, the pro, the pocket was good. But he steps up and he gets it to the right guy and a check down. Had a chance to run with the ball eleven yards. That was good. And he saw that quite a bit um, with him being able to do that. Um, there was one time. The one time where he took his eyes down was a third and four late in the red zone where he had to pick up the first down running. And he's, it was one of those plays where it was like, you know, yeah, if you keep your eyes up, maybe you see someone, but you had to go. And he did the right thing. And he got the first down because of it. And it was a typical kind of a howl tough run, but it was a good decision as well. And I think, you know, um, that's, I felt like his decision-making was really good. And I'll get to a couple in a minute um, and some throws that weren't, that I weren't, that I was not crazy about. But I also want to talk about that fourth down and one play um, because after the game, during the game, I did not like the call. I Not that they, I mean, yeah, I felt I was fine with them going for it. It's a 53-yard field goal at that point and never a guarantee. Now, um, if you pick up the first down, you control the ball and you're going into halftime with the two with the two-score lead. That was the shame of what happened there, is that if you pick it up, again, there's so many plays in this game and so many times where if I'm a coach, I'm pulling my hair out. Because you look at this game, and like there's so many plays. If this play, if that play, if this play, if that play, that it impacts so much. It's another one. So, but on the play, I didn't like that they ran out of empty because I like to keep that run threat alive in a fourth and one situation, even though it was unlikely. You still want to keep it alive in some fashion. However, after watching it, I kind of like what they did with the empty. Now, the play did not work. You know, and obviously when a pass doesn't work, the first thing I hear is they should have run the ball. If they run the ball, I'd have been okay with it because, you know, it's fourth and one. You know, they, what are you going to do? Like, that's an option. That's a good defensive line. It's a it's the NFL's best run defense. So, and they, they have success throwing the ball. So what do you think is the better thing? Like, yeah, okay, run is the more conservative thing, but where they've had success against them is throwing the ball. But again, if they had run, I'm not going to bat an eye because it was it was still that that the run was it was an option. It was a not a bad option for them because it wasn't like it wasn't like two or three yards. It was one yard. But I like that they went out of empty because of the problems that it created on the side to the motion. The problem is the play just didn't the play did they didn't convert the play, and it left them. It did leave them with a with a one on one with with McLaurin against James Bradbury. I'll take that all day. And but on the other side, my goodness, did that motion screw them up? Because the empty was Brian Robinson motions to there's a bunch on the right side, so basically for get to a diamond formation just about. And man, did that screw up the coverage on the Eagles side? There was a lot of confusion off the line. You had three guys looking at one, um, one receiver and Curtis Samuel just going down the seam for a wide open touchdown. If that's the side that Howell had gone to, 
And so, and it's not even a criticism of Howell because you make a decision at the line. Like you have one-on-one with McLaurin and Bradbury. You kind of like your chances on that. Bradbury has been a good quarter corner. I'll take, I'll take McLaurin in that matchup. And that, that's what Howell thought. And that's, they were, they were more than okay with him going to that side. The shame of it is the other side really worked and it would have been a touchdown. But again, you pick your side and you live with it. And But the point of me saying that is the empty created the situation that you probably wanted, which is all this confusion with the coverage and a wide open guy going down the down, down the seam. And if, and if he's not there, then you have Logan Paulson underneath. Excuse me. Did I say Logan Paulson again? Logan Thomas. I do that all the time. Anyway, you had Logan Thomas underneath, but you had Samuel. But again, they're okay with the one-on-one decision and going to McLaurin in, in that deci- with that decision. The problem is that the pass was a little bit inside. And I think they would have preferred if Terry got a little bit, maybe one or two more steps to the outside and created a little bit more of a, of a lane or, or, you know, to create a little bit more separation from Bradbury, get away from a little bit because they really, he didn't really get that. The other thing is you could have run out of that is the fade, you know, or back shoulder, something like that. That's, that would have been my preference. Um, just my own preference. I like that. And I think Hall throws it very well, but that's not what they did. They got the one-on-one and it just failed, but the motion and the empty was not is they didn't fail because the empty, they failed just because maybe execution, but man, the motion worked on the other side. And that's just, it's again, it's one of those things. Again, you live with the call or you live with the decision because it's not wrong to go to McLaurin in a one-on-one. That's what they wanted. They liked that matchup. Howell threw like you go back and look at like the touchdown pass to Logan Thomas and just a beautiful ball. Really nice catch by, by Thomas too, but a beautiful ball. I, again, I like the play design. Um, he drives on the ball and it's funny because it, it just, again, it's a play on this one and we talk about protection, but Tyler Larson whiffed on a stunt, but it didn't matter because the ball's out. He drove, drives on the ball. They created a good lane for, for Thomas and they cleared out the safety from that side with with other action, and it was there, and so it worked. But because Howell drove on the ball, very decisive, and knew where he was going, just a really good job. But it's how you help the protection. It's how you get from go from all these sacks to only one late in the game. On the interception, the ball just sails, and sometimes I, and that one, the ball just sailed, and so in that case, you know. Just I'm not sure that the follow through was exactly the way he would have wanted because it seemed like he's a little bit just maybe you got to follow through a little bit more with your shoulders. I don't know because I'm just wondering why did the ball sail on that one, but it did. And and then um, there was another ball to Jahan Dotson shortly after that where he's wide open on the sidelines and that time the ball just sails out of bounds, falling a little bit as he's throwing, he's falling to his left. And it just, I don't think, again, the follow through wasn't the greatest because he's falling to his left and it impacts, certainly impacts where that ball is going to go. Um, and then, you know, the the two other throws that I want to talk about, and this is where I think it makes it um, where it was a little bit unfortunate for what happened for them because these plays were open <clears throat> and it was, you know, it's funny because you it was the two to Terry McLaurin and on both those plays, I think both players would say, I've got to do a better job to help the other player. And they're both right. Because 
On the first one, Terry McLaurin is breaking open to the right. Just another, again, another well-designed play. And and he's open, but McLaurin is angling on his route. And that's where he thinks that Howell's going to go with the ball. Howell throws it underneath, though, and he's got to stop and come back. Stop and He basically stops and falls back to get the ball. Now, I don't know if Howell did that because there's a corner going with the other receiver on that side. Would he have broken off if he sees him throwing it and it's angling because he has a better shot at the ball? I don't know if he would have done that or not. However, that's something I just wonder because if you're throwing it like that, it was a, it's not a miss because he still got it to him, but it wasn't where the ball, where the receiver thought the ball was going to go. I was, you know, and that's, I think that's what I'll say. But you still got to make the catch. And so Howell said after the game, I've got to make the throw easier for him, which is accurate. And McLaurin would say, like, you got to make that catch regardless of whatever the reason is, right? You've got to make the catch. And that's accurate too, because, you know, that both of them are accurate. They they both needed to make a better play to help the other one out. And the same is true on the very next play, the fourth down and eight. So when you watch it, McLaurin is sitting in the zone. That's what they've been doing. And then the pass drifts him to his right. That's not what they've been doing, right? Or that's so like that, but he, you, he, so he's got to reach over to his right He's got to make the catch, but it's a tougher catch. He's wide open, just sitting there. You got to give him the ball there, but he also, you know, you're, you're McLaurin. You've made these tough catches. Here's another one. That's, you know, so, but it wasn't as simple as, oh, it's right to him and it's just dropped. Still get, they still required him to make a good catch and an adjustment on the ball um, on the fly. But, you know, I think McLaurin would say, you got to make the catch. So, and I talked about this after the game, but nothing has changed, but watching it. Now, also on that fourth down and eight, you go back and watch it before the ball is thrown, Jameson Crowder gets popped by a linebacker about 10 yards downfield. I don't know how that was missed. So it's another thing for people to complain about with the officiating, but that was one that, I don't know how it was missed. He's popped in the open field. It's an easy flag. You know, and, and the ball was not thrown yet. I don't think it was thrown yet, but it doesn't matter. He was popped downfield and it was at least 10 yards downfield. So that's just that was a miss, but again, the miss was on the play itself, and you got to convert that better. And um, so you know, there you go. Overall, I thought you know. By the way, on the last drive too, and again, the points all matter. This is a really good throw and a really good catch by Jamison Crowder, and it's kind of fun to see him doing something here again because he's always the guy that I always liked. I enjoyed watching him. He was very good. I think if Curtis Samuel has to miss any time and we don't know anything yet, all we knew on Mondays, they had soreness in his foot, but if he does, they have a guy that can help them. He's a good route runner. He's a tough guy. You saw him make some good catches and he can still help you. Now, maybe, maybe he's not a full-time slot guy anymore. He can still help you. And I think that, so he's a good guy for them to have. Um, I mean, listen, you better than Dax Milne, better than Kaz Allen for sure. Right. So that, that was it. That, Jameson Crowder might be their best op, might be their best pickup in terms of personnel from the offseason. So because he's been a big help for them. And again, it's it's fun to see because he's a guy that I've always liked and respected. Um, but it was a good throw by how then the game felt like there's just a lot of good things. I think again, the biggest part of the I don't want to say growth because growth, as Nikki and I talked the other day after the game, growth is it's not just a it's not this linear pattern. Are you getting are you getting more consistent in some of these areas? I what I really liked in this game is the way he kept his eyes on the field, the way he drove the ball, stepped up in the pocket, loved the pocket they created. 
Now, can they get the same thing next week against New England? I don't know, but we'll see where he goes. But his ball was just accurate for the most part. Some that were off, we've already talked about. It. But overall, a really good game for Howell and the protection. And it's something that they have to build on because that's what they got, baby. Defense isn't building on anything right now. And, you know, so we'll go, we'll see what happens from here. Anyway, again, trade deadline talk. We'll be back on Tuesday night to discuss all that stuff. 7.30 p.m. live stream show. And go to ESPN.com for all the updates on the trade deadline. 4 o'clock Tuesday Eastern time. That's when it all be over by. And so talk to you next time.